Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Yeah, it's Simon Head from Rochester, the UK, and Shamak Sandu from Toronto in Canada. And we're here, ladies and gentlemen, the first fight week of 2021. We've had a little bit of time off, and uh, I think we're all ready, Sandu, aren't we, for some, uh, for some live fights in our lives once again. And uh, it's a decent card this weekend. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we had a really long stretch of events last year, and, and I'm not going to lie, by the end of it, I was so fatigued. So to have, what, three or so weeks completely off, to shut down, relax, enjoy some time with the family, the holidays, and all the rest of it, much needed, much deserved. But I'm now frothing at the mouth for fights again. So I'm hyped about it, I'm excited. And I tell you what, we always record this on a Monday. And I don't know what it is, but most people tend to take off the, the remaining first couple of days of that first week of January as annual leave, just to have a bit of an extended time off after Christmas and New Year's. The second Monday, and I don't know why, I always feel like everyone's back. Everyone's, you know, replying to, to emails and messages and, and all the rest of it. Today, I've been just overwhelmed with how busy I feel like I've been. So I feel like now, today, I'm back to business and most certainly the UFC is back to business with their event this weekend. So first day back at school again, isn't it? First day yeah. back at school. Everyone's back in uh, back in the office again, or the home yeah. office, as, uh, as, as it is for most of us. But yeah, fight week is back. Lots to talk about with regard to that card. But we've got our stuff that we want to touch upon before we launch into the usual pre-fight uh, preview stuff, Sandu. We've uh, a few little bits and pieces we need to address first, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. So look, you know... I think there's a few major stories with regards to this stint in Abu Dhabi, Yaz Island, Fight Island with the UFC. In As it pertains to Khabib Nurmagomedov and the UFC lightweight championship. So we've known now for a while, he retired in the cage. We don't know what the future of the belt is. Dana White has said now in, in multiple interviews, he is going to be meeting with Khabib Nurmagomedov face-to-face to have a sit-down. And Dana White's gone as far as to say, essentially, that he is hoping to say the right things and actually convince, and he's adamant about convincing Khabib to come back for one more. What that fight is, in a perfect world, I think, for Dana White, the UFC in the promotion, Connor wins in a couple of weeks. He beats Dustin Poirier, and then they want to make a rematch of Khabib versus Connor, the biggest pay-per-view uh, best-selling pay-per-view in UFC history. So I guess to kind of kick things off today, Simon, it's a it's a bit of a two-pronged question here. Number one, should, given the fact that Khabib has essentially said he's calling time you know, on his career because that's what his mum wanted. His, mo- his mother asked him to, to call it a day after his fight with Justin Gaethje. So should Dana White actually speak to Khabib and try and convince him to come back for one more or should he just let the man be and then B the second question is will he be successful will arguably the greatest promoter in combat sports history or at least one of the greatest be able to pull off the unthinkable and get Khabib to come back because if he does Jesus Christ that would be massive news in 2021 yeah um the first one, the first question is a very easy one to answer because it's Dana White's job to ask. You know, if there's any remote chance whatsoever of him getting Khabib back into the cage, 
at some point in 2021, or even if it's not until 2022. If he can get him back in the cage, then that is great for business for the UFC, right? That's that's the end all be all of it, really. His job is to maximize profits and to make the UFC brand as strong and as successful as it can possibly be. Getting Khabib back in the cage is a massive deal, you know, in terms of potential comebacks that could be made that are realistic. That's the biggest one. You know, if Khabib gets back in the cage again, still undefeated, um, whether he does it as champion, whether he does it to challenge a new champion, the, you know, there's there's arguments that, you know, you could, could see either of those scenarios play out. But of course he should ask. Absolutely. If I was in his position, I would be asking. Um, but what he also needs to do is, after he's had that conversation, once the decision is made, if it's, if Khabib said, look, Dana, look, I really don't want to do this anymore, then Dana at that point needs to just throw his hands up and say, look, I've done my best. I've tried. I've asked. I've pushed as hard as I can. But the man wants to retire. And Dana has always been the first person to say, if someone is talking about retirement, then they should probably retire. Well, Khabib hasn't just talked about retirement. He's retired. He's done it. He's been, he put the gloves down. He's done the lot, right? And for everybody else, Dana would say, He's retired. Even this week, they were, you know, they were talking about various things. And Dana's like, well, this guy's retired. This person's retired. I'm not talking about retired people. He's talking about this retired person. He wants he wants to be back because it's all about the dollar bills, you know? And uh, so from that point of view, yeah, no brainer. You're the promoter. You're the guy running the show. It makes sense for him to be back, right? Even if it's just for one fight, that'll be a huge fight. They want a nice long run up and then boom. Huge payday, right? The other side of it, will he be successful? I've already gone on my uh, my preseason Nando's rated far too early batshit crazy predictions from last week's show. If you haven't heard them, check those out uh, on YouTube, Spotify, and everywhere else you can find uh, the show. I said that Khabib isn't going to fight in 2021. Um, I guess that leaves the door open for 2022, but... I didn't mean it in that way. I meant like he's done. I meant he's decided he's retired. He's drawn a line and that's it. However, if we, if we sort of play this out as if it does happen, there's options here. Um, and there's this upcoming fight between McGregor and Poirier is going to be fascinating because as you said, Sandu, the McGregor is the one that UFC obviously won, right? McGregor could be two is the biggest fight the UFC could make. Um, yeah, at any weight class, at any weight class. Um, Dustin Poirier could put a major, major wrench in those plans by beating Connor. Then what? So could Dana potentially sit down with Khabib and say, look, I know you would prefer to face GSP. We would love for you to face Connor. If Connor beats Dustin Poirier, let's do a deal. If Connor beats Dustin Poirier, you face Connor again. If Poirier beats Conor McGregor, then maybe we get GSP back and we do the fight that you want. So, and it all hinges on that uh, Conor versus Dustin fight. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, I can see it happening. I've gone on record and said I don't think it will. I can see, I can see it happening. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. But I'm, I'm going to stick with the fact that I think Khabib's going to stand his ground. I don't think he stands. Unless he wants that massive payday, you might turn around and say, Do you know what? This is an easy fight for me. 
I, I won with ease last time. I think I'll win with ease again this time. And they're throwing telephone numbers money at me. Let's just do it. Let's just do it. Prove my point. 30 and 0, which is what his dad wanted all along, I believe. Um, he's, you know, make it all good with his mum first and uh, get that fight done and then go off into the sunset 30 and 0. Um, but um, I don't know. I don't know if he's, I don't know if the drive and the desire to fight is there anymore for Khabib. Um, I think he's got other things now with with his promotion and his teammates and all the rest of it that's enough to keep him going. But who knows? Who knows? What do you reckon? Well, to the first point, I'm in pretty much in complete agreement with you up until the last bit, and I'll tell you why in a second. So the first point, yeah, absolutely. Dana White should be asking him to come back for one more. Why? Because he is the promoter, the figurehead of the UFC. It is all about business. This is not about morals and ethics. It's about trying to get you know one of the biggest stars in the sport to come back for one more fight under the UFC banner. And also, it's not as if he's going out there to convince someone in, in their late 30s or 40s, right, who's, you know, already been through so many wars to come back. Khabib is still in his prime at the peak of his powers, right? And he's not leaving the sport because he's suffered four or five knockouts or his health's in serious danger or anything like that. He's in tip-top shape. So, absolutely, Dana White should try and convince Khabib to come back for one more. And I think he's going to do it, Simon. I'm absolutely convinced he's going to do it. And you alluded to it. I think the opportunity there where he says, listen, if Connor wins, let's do the Connor rematch. And if he doesn't win, we'll give you GSP is the perfect, um, I guess, thing to say or uh, opportunity to put on the table for Khabib. Um, I just feel like, you know, and I'll tell you what Khabib could do right now. He could almost do something similar to what Connor did with the Mayweather fight, which is kind of, put his you know McGregor promotions, you know, McGregor Entertainment, Sports and Entertainment banner in the mix there. And if Khabib is serious about, you know, Eagles MMA and, and his his group, his fight camp and his gym and the brand, maybe that's a negotiation point. Maybe it's, hey, listen, I'll come back for one more, whether it's Connor, whether it's GSP, I don't mind, or whatever the case is at that situation, depending on the result for from the next pay-per-view. But this might be a nice way for Khabib to have a, a, a launching platform not just for himself, but his brand and, and his company moving forward. Uh, that would be a smart move on Khabib's part, if I'm being honest, um, because, you know, to have any kind of like, I guess, uh, association with whether it's Conor or GSP, it will be the biggest fight and the biggest event and pay-per-view in UFC history, regardless of what which, which option they go with, um, would be smart. So, yeah, I just feel like, you know what, if it, if it wasn't the case, I just feel like we would have got some resolution by now. I feel like, he would have, we would have got notification that Khabib's out of the USADA testing pool, which he's not. I feel like he would have relinquished the title and they would have just moved on and put it on this first pay-per-view, which they haven't and which he hasn't. So there's there's already so much in the air, which, which kind of indicates to me that he probably will come back and Dana White will convince him. Plus, I think enough time has passed by now with regards to the emotional sentiment surrounding his initial retirement. It was still you know, so, you know, hot off the fact that his father had passed away. His mother's asking him to retire. He almost didn't want to fight Gaethje. He, he said, listen, let me get the Gaethje fight out of the way. It's been a while. It's been a number of months. You know, time does heal, allows you to reflect. And, and, and you know, you never make 
the biggest business decisions when you're in an emotional state. So the fact that he hasn't relinquished the title, the fact that he's still in the USADA testing pool, the fact that enough time has passed, and then you've got Dana White incoming, who's going to sit down with you and try and figure out a deal. I feel like there's enough in play there that gives me the confidence anyway, that believes that could be, we'll come back for one more. Now, who will he fight? Again, back to your point, everything hinges on the result of Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor. Yeah, and the thing about this is, like, when it comes to negotiating, you know, talk about leverage. You could be walking along to this uh, to this negotiating table, holding all of the aces, right? He can ask for whatever he wants, and you know, provided he's he's within the realms of uh, you know sensibility, if you like. Dana will try and make it happen for him because he wants he wants could be back in the cage ideally against Conor McGregor, but he wants to be back in the cage um, and he will move heaven and earth to make it happen, I think. And and so Khabib can turn around and make not outlandish demands, but he can certainly make a few. You know, he can secure the future of his promotion on UFC Fight Pass. He can maybe look to pass the torch to his teammate, Islam Makachev, by having him in the co-main event in a number one contender fight so that if he gets through that, he's fighting for the belt next, you know, so that when Khabib steps away, a teammate of his is stepping in to try and continue the sort of lineage. I think there's a lot of things that could be asked for. Um, Money is the easy bit, really. I think the money is the easy bit. And I don't see, I don't see Khabib really uh, going crazy in terms of, holding out for a certain amount of money because I just don't think that's the way he's wired. I don't think that's the kind of guy he is. I think he's made enough money that it's not a problem for him anymore. So financially, yeah, he's going to do all right if he comes back, but I don't think that will ever be the thing that means he doesn't come back. You know, I don't think he's ever going to walk away and say, say, well, look guys, I was going to come back, but the UFC didn't offer me enough money. I don't think that's going to happen. It's going to be other things around it, whether it's the actual fight itself or some of the, conditions around it and that's assuming he's got any desire to compete at all which i'm i'm not convinced by yet what i will say having said all of that about me being not convinced i'd love to see it don't get me wrong i would love to see him come back because there's a mystique about khabib he's 30 and oh or sorry he's 29 and oh he's but his title run in the ufc has only been three fights yeah you know he's 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 just getting started you know, he should really be looking to dominate for the next two, three years. I mean, fought all the way to get to the top. He's had a couple of big fights and that's it, you know? And and it feels to me like there's a lot there for him if he wanted to carry on. And I'd love to see him carry on. Like, I think he's capable of going potentially as high as 40, you know, if he can keep ahead of the pack. But there's so much talent in that 55 division that it almost seems... Well, it doesn't almost seem a shame. It is. It would be a huge shame if he does step away at this point because the lightweight division has never been better. And I know the UFC doesn't do tournaments. A 155-pound tournament under the UFC banner would be the biggest uh, tournament that could be put on in the sport of mixed martial arts. It would just be huge. And to have Khabib as part of something like that would be just the best thing ever. And, you know, the lightweight division is outstanding right now. Everything's a little bit up in the air. So if he comes back, we need to know, is it for one fight or is he back for good, as Gary Barlow once wrote. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I'd love to see it. 
my 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 head says it won't happen. My heart says please make it happen. Um, but I guess we'll find out probably within the next within the next few weeks. You'd like to think that the UFC would want to wrap it up during this Fight Island run, so that they can then get the basically get the ball rolling with any pre-fight build-up and really slow play it up until the summer, I would imagine, uh, or maybe even the autumn. Uh, when the when any potential fight would take place, because the longer the run up, the better the the better the payoff at the end. So um, yeah, I hope it happens. I really do. I'm just not a hundred percent sure. I guess it's just me being being a bit pessimistic. A pessimist is never disappointed, Sandy. That's what I was told once. Facts. I'll tell you what. You mentioned one thing there that could be doesn't have on his resume, and that is a long run of title defenses. You look at some of the other greats. George St. Pierre, John Jones, Anderson Silva, Demetrius Johnson. What have they all got? A long run of consecutive title defenses. No knock on Khabib. It is what it is. The one other thing that I wanted to speak to you about before we go into preview mode for the first fight island card, which is linked to Khabib, is the big event coming up in a couple of weeks, UFC 257, headlined by Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor to the rematch. So, Simon, let's just scratch the surface here. We'll go to full hardcore you know, preview mode on this pay-per-view on next week's show. But, man, both Dustin and Connor, physically, aesthetically, looking at social media posts, they look in incredible shape, the both of them do. And we've also started to get snippets of promo work from the UFC, the big one over the course of the over the, the last 24 hours or so is a preview of the countdown show where we've got a prediction from Mystic Mac. Conor McGregor says and believes he is going to knock Dustin Poirier out inside 60 seconds. So number one, what do you think with regards to that prediction? Number two, it's just, just in general. Given what you've seen from both Dustin and Connor on social media, because that's all we can really judge at this point, um, heading into this contest where we're just now under two weeks away, how are you feeling? First, I'm feeling very, very pleased about all this. I think this is great. I mean, given what we missed out on last year, um, you know, the big McGregor season we were going to have, the fact that he's jumping straight back on the horse now in, in January suggests that his plans for last year are now going to be his plans for this year. And I'm really excited by this. And uh, as for the matchup, yeah, Michael Chavello, the uh, the legendary uh, commentator, he's never won championship, but he's commentated on all sorts. Uh, it's a phrase of his to, uh, to describe people in decent shape. McGregor and Poirier are both ripped, stripped and striated ahead of this one. They both look absolutely shredded. And um, yeah, they're headed into this in, 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 in superb shape. Um, and, uh, the thing with McGregor and his prediction, like were it anybody else, she'd be like, come on, man, 60 seconds, 60 seconds against a guy like Dustin Poirier, who knows his way around the cage. He's been in there with the best of the best and he doesn't get put away like that. But this is, this is Conor McGregor. We're talking about, you know, this is Conor McGregor. I was front row at MGM grand, uh, at UFC 194 when, one swing of his left hand took out Jose Aldo and it was like, what the hell just happened? Like the whole MMA world just completely turned on its axis at that point. It was nuts. 
So because I saw this, and I also saw him predict it in fight week, almost to the letter, um, and then go out and execute on fight night, I'm not going to disbelieve anything McGregor says when it comes to predictions. If he thinks he can do it in 60 seconds, I fully believe that he has the ability to do it in 60 seconds. Whether he will or not, I don't know. Um, I just think that for that to happen, Poirier would have to really push the pace on him early doors or McGregor would have to come out like a absolute crazy man and, and really, really put it on him from the very beginning, which he did against Donald Cowboy Cerrone, didn't he? He just completely launched at him from the start. But I don't know. I don't know. The thing about this one is like the whole dynamic for this fight is going to be very different from what we saw when they fought first time Sandu. And this is the really interesting thing. I think they're both in very different points in their careers right now. They were, they were featherweights at UFC 178, which was like six years ago or something now. Uh, McGregor was the man on the way up. He'd just beaten um, Diego Brandau in Dublin on that unforgettable night at the uh, at the O2 in Dublin. And the world was his oyster. And like Poirier was his sort of coming out party stateside. Poirier really didn't like the fact that McGregor was getting all this hype. And he, he was he fought a very... As, as a very angry man, he didn't like what was going on. You could see it was really winding him up. McGregor saw that, was winding him up even more and took full advantage on fight night and finished him in, I think it was like just over a minute and a half or something. It took, it was like 140-something. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was, it was was very sort of needly sort of fight. This one, they seem to be getting on. They seem to get on very well um, in terms of the way the fight was made. Obviously, McGregor is now in full-on fight promotion mode, talking about 60-second KO. Poirier's not going to take to that very kindly. But I do think they're both at very different points in their career. They're much more mature as people, much more uh, mature and experienced as fighters. I'm hoping it makes for a longer fight. If McGregor does him in 60 seconds, then wow. Um, you know, the, the MMA world's going to go nuts again. But um, I'm hoping we get a bit of a, you know, I'd, I'd like to think we get at least a couple of rounds of sort of toe to toe back and forth action, but you can't, you can't, you can't dismiss a Conor McGregor prediction. This is Mystic Mac we're talking about, Sandu. Well, look, he opened his 2020 account with like a 40 second odd victory over Donald Cowboy Cerrone, where literally the gel was still in his hair. His hair was still all slicked back and in place post fight. Him giving a 60 second or less knockout prediction I mean, this is great, isn't it? This is this is classic Conor McGregor. You know, that quote alone has already gone viral, and it's got the fan base up in roar. You know, some some people they've got you know they're really hyped. They're like, yeah, Conor's he's already made his prediction. He's back. He's going to do the business. And others are like, hang on a second, what's going on here? No chance in hell. He's fighting Dustin Poirier, and that's the big thing, right? I was so, so confident of a Conor McGregor victory a year ago against Donald Cowboy Cerrone because that was the quintessential warm-up fight and it was a pay-per-view headliner. We don't really see it, but for Conor, they've done him a favor there just to kind of get him back on side. He had faced so much negativity prior to that contest. This time around, however, I'm not as confident because... Dustin Poirier is a legit guy. He's in his prime. He's in the top five. I'm still predicting a Conor McGregor win, but I feel like it's going to be far more competitive than the Donald Cowboy Cerrone fight was. And like yourself, if he does pull off a knockout, 
within 60 seconds. Jesus Christ, the MMA world and the sports world in general will go absolutely nuts. And, and that will be a hell of a way to start 2021. But yeah, I feel like it's going to be not that easy for Connor this time around. You know, Dustin Poe, I think mentally is way stronger than he was, you know, compared to the, the first time these two fought. He's um, physically better. He's technically better. I'll tell you something. I'm so happy about this contest being at lightweight. I think Dustin Poirier is a much better fighter, 155 pounds. And so is Conor McGregor. It's just a shame that we haven't seen Conor McGregor fight as much as we would have ideally liked to at 155. Because I just feel like at that weight, it's perfect. He's not too drained. He's strong. He's powerful. I tell you what, for someone that's got dynamite in his hands, that's where you want to be. You don't want to be drained. You want to be able to execute a knockout blow within 60 seconds of the first round or the final 60 seconds of round number five. So let's see what happens. But I'm just excited. I think, and again, going back to my other point earlier on, Simon, physically, they both look good. Social media is now starting to fire off. The UFC is starting to get their wheels churning in terms of promo work. The broadcast partners, ESPN, BT Sport, everyone's starting to now get their things and bits and pieces in motion with regards to promoting this one. So it's going to be the cherry on the cake of what is going to be an incredible seven or eight days, all kicking off with this Saturday's card, which we're now going to talk about, which is, I think, technically, UFC on ABC1. Max Holloway versus Calvin Cater, the headliner. And I tell you what, what a great co-main event. Probably the most violent fight on paper, Carlos Condit versus Matt Brown. But then you just go down the list. Santiago Ponzanibia, where have you been the last couple of years coming back to fight Li Jingliang, Joachim Buckley versus Alessio Dishikurio, and then Puna Haley Soriano versus Dusko Todrovic. Mate, let's talk about this card starting from the top. Max Blessed Holloway, the former champion at 145 pounds, coming off two back-to-back -back losses against Alexander Volkanovsky, fighting the man who's in some form, Calvin Cater, who's knocked out Jeremy Stevens via, via disgusting elbows. And he also beat Dan Ige via unanimous decision, finally getting his opportunity. He's finally going to be headlining a fight night card. Massive opportunity. The stakes couldn't be higher. A big win, especially by knockout or submission. If he finishes Max Holloway, whether he cuts a promo or not, that's going to be a statement signature win for Calvin Cater and a proper claim to hopefully fight for the title at some point in 2021. Am I wrong or am I wrong? No, you're bang on. I mean, it's been a big... 2020 was a big year for the New England cartel. They really had... A, they. Uh, I think they... They. I actually did the uh, the Gym of the Year award. I was allocated the Gym of the Year award um, for MMA Junkie this year. And um, I gave it to Elevation Fight Team in the end. Um, they had a really big year in terms of all their big stars had, had very uh, successful years. Honorable mention went to New England Cartel. Um, they had a really good year. There's only really two of them, um, plus head coach Tyson Chartier. Um, it's Rob Font, Calvin Cater. Both of both those guys really furthered their stock in 2020. Mostly uh, Calvin Cater, who had uh, had a couple of big wins. You take a look at Mac and. and We've talked about this before, how statistics can cloud everything. Max Holloway has won one fight since 2018. That sounds insane, given the run that he was on. 
Um, but if you look at the uh, the losses that he's had, he lost to Dustin Poirier for the, for the uh, the interim lightweight belt when he moved up on short notice to take him on, and it was a fight in the night performance. But he fell short against Poirier. He was outsized, outmatched in that fight. Um, he then beat Frankie Edgar to defend his featherweight belt, and then lost it to uh, Volkanovski. And then, very, very controversially, he lost the rematch by split decision. So, even though he's actually lost three of his last four, I would not look at that form and say, "Oh, is uh, is Max Holloway slipping?" Max Holloway is not slipping. He's 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 still right up there, and you can bet that. He's going to be fighting as a pretty pissed off individual, I would imagine, on uh, on on uh, Saturday night because it, he's he's been at the top for so long as a featherweight, and his opportunity to bounce back in in that title rematch, he thought he won that fight. I know a lot of people watching thought he won that fight. Two of the judges disagreed, and Alexander Volkanovski still has that belt. And because you've just and because that that controversial result came in a, in an immediate rematch. You're not going to get a third fight having lost two on paper. You've got to go back to the drawing board. You've got to get back into the into the weeds a little bit and fight your way through and get yourself back up there before you get your shot again. So he's going to feel pretty annoyed, I would imagine, that he probably feels he should be carrying a gold belt round right now, and he isn't. So, and Calvin Cater is as tough as they come. I mean, as you know, you mentioned there, Sandu, that his, his performances against... The Jeremy Stevens one was was mad, and he did it against the Jeremy Stevens who missed weight by like five pounds or something. Yeah. Um, and uh, he goes in there against Dan Ige, who who was on like a six fight win streak or something, finished his win streak, um, beaten by unanimous decision. And even the fight he lost in 2019 against the beat Magomed Sharapov, that fight was a was a main event, but because Magomed Sharapov wanted it to be a three round fight, they fought for three rounds. Make no mistake, if that had been a five-round fight, Calvin Cater would have won that fight because it was only trending in one direction by the time we got to the end of the third round. Cater started slow. He is a notoriously slow starter, um, but he's got five rounds to play with on Saturday night, and I think that's where it gets really interesting. Holloway, he knows his way around a five-round fight. He's done it so many times. Cater, he hasn't had those opportunities yet. This is his opportunity I'm picking Max Holloway for that reason and the fact that I just think Max is the best 145-pound fighter on the planet, in my opinion. Calvin Cater is definitely in the top top three, top four, um, and he's got he has the opportunity to to really cement himself. But I just don't know if he can match Max's output over five rounds. I think that's what he's going to need to do because I don't I don't see him knocking out Max Holloway, and that's how he would normally get his you know, get, get get the job done. So I'm siding with Holloway, but I think it's going to be an absolute banger of a fight. I think it will go the distance. And I think people will be walking away from Saturday night, even though it's the, only the first UFC event of the year, people will be walking away going, do you know what? That might have a chance of being fight of the year already after one event. I can see people saying that because I think it might be that good. Yeah, I tell you what, everything that you said is bang on. And I think... The one thing against Calvin Cater right now is the fact that he doesn't have experience when it comes to headlining shows. He doesn't have experience when all the promotional weight is on your shoulders coming into fight week. You're doing a lot more interviews. A lot is expected of you from a promotional standpoint. Max Holloway, been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. 
So this is when you start to see, you know, where these fighters are, what level have they reached? Because the spotlight is brightest when you're closing the show and you are the main event. Calvin Cater is fighting a former champion, arguably the greatest featherweight of all time. You can make a case for that right now. But here's a question I want to ask you, Simon. Should Max Holloway lose? But And by the way, I'm, I'm in the same situation as you. I'm picking Holloway to win here. But just to play devil's advocate, should Max Holloway lose? Is this the last time he'll fight featherweight? Because I feel like if he loses, you're so far removed then from being around the idea of fighting for a title. And given the names available at lightweight, does he then, if he loses again, if he loses, take a bit of a break, bulk up, put on the size properly this time and have a run at lightweight. It's a fascinating one, isn't it? Because under normal circumstances, you would say, yeah, probably. Um, but then you look at the shark tank that he'd be diving into at 155. As a long-standing former featherweight champion, normally, if he moved up, you would expect him to be, if not right in there for a title shot straight away, then maybe one win away. That probably wouldn't happen at 155 pounds in the UFC right now. You take a look at that 155 division. It is all killer, no filler. Like He's going to have to fight his way probably two or three times against some of the best lightweights that have ever stepped into the UFC octagon and beat them convincingly before he even gets a sniff at a title. So if he wants a new challenge, um, then that is that is as good of a challenge that he's going to find anywhere. You know, I think it's... That would be absolutely, absolutely huge. And hats off to him if he decides that that's what he wants to do. Even if he wins, you know, he might, he might still think that my, you know, my future lies at fifty-five. But I think, uh, I think if if he's talking about winning a belt again and going on a run as a champion again, I do think forty-five is where is where he's best off. Um, because I think in the overall structure, I mean, in terms of his seniority in the division, in terms of where he stands uh, with regards to the rankings, how much he has to do to get back to the belt, all of that looks more favourable for him at 45 than it does at 55. So, um, and, and also when you move up to 55, he's fought at 55 once in the UFC and it didn't go his way. Uh, Dustin Poirier beat him up a little bit at points in that fight. Um, but yeah, I just I think forty five is where he needs to be. I just think that he's had he's had some rotten luck um, in in terms of his last performance. I thought he deservedly lost the first fight to to uh, Volkanovski, but I did think that he won the rematch. So it's it's one of those. It's 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 so tight at the top of that division. But I think if he moves to lightweight, he's got too much to do. But if he wants a new challenge, it's going to be a lot of fun seeing him in there with the likes of Michael Chandler, Dan Hooker, Islam Makachev, Justin Gaethje, Dustin Poirier, and of course, Mr. McGregor. So there's all there's all manner of great options. A rematch with Conor McGregor one day would be a lot of fun to watch, for example, you know? Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I, I think he's best off at 45, but it probably, as you say, all hinges on how he goes on Saturday night. And I think if he comes in in the same sort of form that he came into the last fight, I think he's got enough to win it. Um, you know, Cater's main evented twice, only once over five rounds. He went the distance with Ego over five rounds, but he hasn't got that level of experience, as you said, that that, that Holloway's got. So, um, 
I think it's a it's it's a big big fight for both men on Saturday. Can't wait! It's going to be a banger. There's no way this fight does not deliver. And speaking of fights that are going to definitely deliver, what a co-main event, Simon! I mean, in fairness, probably a good few years later than we would have ideally liked to have seen. But we've got Carlos Condit versus Matt Brown, immortal Matt Brown versus the natural-born killer Carlos Condit. Condit, who last October snapped a five-fight losing streak by getting a decision victory over Court McGee. And Matt Brown, who not too long ago we thought you know had called time, we weren't going to see him again. He comes back in 2019, gets a win over Ben Saunders, and then he has the one fight in 2020, and he gets knocked out by Miguel Baeza. So he's coming off a loss here. What are your thoughts on this fight, Simon? Because I, I just feel like, not major stakes, I just feel like this is a fight that on paper is going to be fun. It's a hardcore fight fans fight. It's one for long-term fans of both Carlos Gondit, Matt Brown, and the UFC. And I think it's just one that they wanted to get in there before it's too late. Yeah, I mean, this this might sound a little bit a little bit weird, but this is either going to be a fight that's going to make everybody really happy or it's going to be a fight that's going to make us feel a little bit sad. I think it's because we've got two guys who have been in, in the octagon for years and have been two of the most, as you say, two of the most violent exponents of the art um, at, at 170 pounds. You know, Carlos Condit, former interim welterweight champion, of course. Matt Brown, the guy that only crazy people would volunteer to fight, right? So these two guys are are sort of top of the list when it comes to crowd-pleasing welterweights who have consistently delivered the goods over the years, but they've been through some wars, Sandu. They have been through some wars, and I think it's fair to say, with all respect to the pair of them, that neither one of them is at their fighting peak right now. Uh, I think that might have been a few years ago. They're still more than capable of, uh, of doing a number on most most welterweights, but um, I just hope that we see a, a, a competitive fight that goes a relatively long way uh, and that we don't just get someone getting hurt early in the fight being finished um, because that's entirely plausible. It's entirely plausible, but you know, they've both had so the amount of damage those, these, these two guys have taken is absolutely insane over the course of their careers. And it's really a case of who's going to be freshest, who's in better shape overall. Um, and who's, who's, whose ability to, take punishment has has sort of lasted the test of time. I mean, Matt Brown's been away for a little bit. He kind of, he kind of retired in 2017 and then bounced back, got the win. And then as you say, got, got stopped last May. And as for Condit, it was amazing that he was still on the UFC roster really by the time he fought in October last year, having lost five on the spin. That tells you how much the UFC loves Carlos Condit. Um, and uh, in those, in those five fights though, the only times that he got stopped were by submission. He, ne- he never got really beat up. Um, like he was competitive in all those fights. So, and he goes and beats Court McGee, who is another one you could put in that sort of class of being just ridiculously tough for a really long time. So he got the win against Court McGee. I don't know who's going to win this fight. I really don't. I, I, I'd, I'd be pleased for whoever wins. I'd probably side with Matt Brown just a little bit. Um, 
Carlos has been one of my favourite fighters for years. I just wonder whether he might have a few more miles on the clock and uh, whether Matt Brown might just be in a position to sort of edit. But I'm hoping that we come away from this fight saying what a fight between these two these two legends of the cage rather than coming away from it and saying, has one of these guys had one fight too many? That's that. That's my only worry. Yeah, it's one of those fights where it's going to be tough if someone gets brutally knocked out, which could very very well happen. Could very well happen. They're both capable of it. I think the guy that's got more upside for a win here is probably Carlos Condit because he snapped his losing streak last year. So you got that out of the way. Now, if you win again, especially in a co-main event slot, the momentum's there with you. Who knows then? Maybe he calls out Nick Diaz. You know, that would be a, the perfect fight for make, to make for both Nick and Carlos Condit at this stage of their careers. Um, so, yeah, I think if Carlos Condit wins, you know, he's still got a little bit gas left in the tank. Um, and, you know, just given I think he's a, a bigger name than Matt Brown, former champion, he's headlined pay-per-views, he's fought the best of the best, he's fought Nick Diaz, he's fought GSP. I feel like the UFC could probably use him um, a lot more and a lot better than perhaps a, a Matt Brown. But either way, it'll be fascinating to see how this one uh, plays out. The next fight... This is a bizarre one. Talk, I mean, talk about storylines, Simon, in this card. Santiago Ponzanibio, the Argentinian absolute killer at welterweight. He has this incredible run. Starts in 2015. Seven-fight win streak. Andrea Stahl, Court McGee, Zach Cummings, Nordine Taleb, Gunnar Nelson, Mike Perry, and then Neil Magny. That, that run ends in November of 2018. And then... It's almost like he disappeared from the face of this planet. I personally haven't really dug too deep into this, and maybe you can shed some light when I throw it to you in a second, Simon, with regards to what on earth has been going on with Santiago Ponzanibio, because I felt like he was on the cusp of fighting for the title, and he's fighting Li Jing Liang, who was another one who was on this incredible run. And it's funny because it's Neil Magny once again. This time around, though, Neil Magny got the victory over Li Jingliang uh, about 10 months ago, March of 2020. So that's the kind of uh, the one fighter that's on both their resumes who they both last fought, different results. Fascinating fight on this main card. And I'm very much more intrigued to see what happens here with Santiago Ponzanibio. Because like I said, incredible performances, incredible uh, win streak in a market in the world, in Argentina and, and Latin America in general, and South America, that the UFC, uh, you know, would love to kind of, you know, keep tapping into and keep roasting the fires of some stars. You know, on paper, this guy's got it all, but he's been away for two years. What's going? What's going on? He he had some major health issues. Sandu is what happened. He had a he had a blood infection that threatened to finish his career. Uh, he Bloody got he, yeah. He had um, he had. Uh, he had a staph infection, but he had another infection with it. Uh, and basically what it meant was he was getting weird swellings in different parts of his body, particularly in his knee. Um, so he ended up just treating that. And it seemed like, you know, they were supposed to be having like a six week course of treatment and he was going to be okay after then. Then all of a sudden he got, he got sick, lost a lot of weight, had a fever, ended up going to hospital, stayed in hospital for, for a while. Um, and, uh, he, he said, like talking to talking to uh, my colleague uh, Farah Hanoon, MMA junkie, 
He said he was on like, multiple medications. He had nurses visiting his home. Um, and uh, But then, having got rid of the bacterial infections, he then suddenly started having problems just moving around, you know, having problems with his leg. So he had his leg checked out. He had an MRI on his leg. Um, and uh, they said that you had, you, you've got a bone infection. So having shaken off all that bacterial infection stuff, he then had an infection in the bone in his leg. And they, they said, this could be it. Your career could be done, right? So, so he was dealing with that arthritis in his leg as well. So he's doing all of this crazy stuff. Wow. He was supposed to fight Robbie Lawler at UFC 245. And he was building up to this and fighting all of this drama. And in the, in the end, he had to turn around and say, look, I can't do this. Uh, he couldn't walk without anti-inflammatories. Um, and now he's bit by bit worked his way back. Um, and uh, what was supposed to be like six or seven weeks just to shake off some sort of bacterial infection turned into something much, much worse. It looked like his career was going to be done and dusted. He's managed to get rid of it. He's now back. He's got this incredible win streak, but he's got no momentum at the same time because he's not fought for two years. So if he comes back at 100%, He's a contender at 170 pounds. Everybody knows this. But when you've been away from the cage for as long as he has and your body's been fighting all these different uh, medical issues that he's been dealing with and he's been pumped with all these different drugs to sort of try and try and get himself back on the level again, how much has this taken out of him? How much has he actually had to or how, how well has he been able to bounce back physically from all of this? Um, and against someone like Li Jingliang, who is going to push the pace on him from the minute the fight starts, it is a proper acid test for uh, for Ponzinibbio. I'm really looking forward to it, and I think it will be one of the real feel-good stories early on of the MMA year if he comes through this fight with a win, extends that win streak, and announces that, hey, don't forget about me. I'm here, I'm back, and I'm gunning for the belt. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this fight. It's going to be... It's going to be fascinating. Yeah, the one thing I, I, I've always liked about Santiago is he takes advantage of the moment. Yeah, you know, when he was winning those fights, he always made sure he cut a promo, made use of his interview time, called his shot, shot his shot, as they say. And it, it'll, I'll be curious if if he wins. And trust me, I'm agree. I'm in agreement with you. Like, you know, Li Jingliang is a tough customer. So just to be out for as long as Santiago has been, to come back and if he is able to get a win over. Li Jingliang, that would be something in itself. But I can almost see him just being, you know, so overwhelmed, from, you know, in the moment, you know, having been out for so long to come back and actually get a, you know, A, perform, but B, win. Um, maybe he doesn't go the, the cutting the promo route. Maybe he just bursts into tears and has an emotional moment. Um, I could very well see that happening. Yeah. Um, so that's definitely a, a big fight uh, to pay attention to on that main card. And the hits just keep on coming, Simon. Here we go. The guy that has arguably, arguably, the greatest knockout in UFC history, most certainly the greatest knockout in 2020, Joaquin Buckley. He's back. He's got a main event, a uh, main card slot here on the first event of 2020 on UFC Fight Island. He's fighting Alessio Di Shirico. and Simon. Is he going to do it again? That's my only question. Is he going to do something that's going to go viral again? Well, if he does, um, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna have earned it. Put it like this: uh, Alessio Di Chirico does not get finished easily. He's only been finished once in his entire career, and that was by an Eric Spicely triangle choke. Um, that's it. 
his other losses have been on the scorecards. And yeah, he's coming into this one on a three-fight skid. He's been he's lost on the cast to Kevin Holland. He's lost to Mahmoud Muradov, and most recently, back in uh, in August last year, he lost uh, to Zach Cummins. Now, okay, yeah, he's lost three fights, but he's he's as hard as nails, Alessio de uh, de Kiriko, and and he doesn't get finished. He doesn't get finished. Joachim Buckley is going to need to be ready for all three rounds in this fight because if he can't put him away, and no one has been able to up to this point with with, with strikes. He's going to need the gas tank to go all three rounds because if he doesn't, he could find himself on the wrong end of a decision. It's one of those fights. How much does uh, Buckley go for the KO? How much effort does he go? For, you know, how, how much effort does he put in? How much does he load up early on? Because if he loads up early on, maybe he gets it done. If he loads up early on and he doesn't get it done, he's going to pay for it late, late on in the fight against a guy who is more than happy to go all three rounds. So it's uh, it's going to be really interesting to watch. You've got this dynamic, explosive finisher against a guy who very, very rarely gets finished uh, and has never been knocked out in his career. So it's a real test for him. Don't worry about the win and loss stats here and the fact that um, De Kiriko's lost his last three. The fact here is look at how Buckley wins his fights and look at how De Kiriko uh wins and loses his fights. They're all on the scorecards. So I think the scorecards might come into play here. But if Buckley gets a knockout, then uh I think it's probably going to be quite a spectacular one. And uh we're gonna be we're gonna be looking at okay, we need to give him one of the division's bigger names next. But yeah, he's got a stiff test ahead of him, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean when you get shouted out by Kanye West on his Instagram using your knockout against some new music he's released that is a highlight of highlights when it comes to your last performance. So um, I'm sure all the questions during fight week will be about that knockout and how it changed his life and how his social media exploded. So looking forward to seeing the return of Joaquin Buckley. And then to be honest with you, Simon, it's, it's a case of the best of the rest for the rest of the card. And the one thing I'm not as concerned about this time around compared to say the most recent stint of events at the apex is just, I'm not too worried about fights falling out. Now, touch wood, that doesn't happen. But I feel like on Fight Island, they've just got it sussed. You know, the, the, the protocols and the strategy in place, which has probably only improved since the last run on Fight Island, I feel like they've got it all sorted out there. So I'm not too concerned about any of these fights falling out unless there's some crazy weight issue problems or something like that. The only other fight that's kind of jumping out to me, and this is from the prelims, um, you know, with regards to a British contingent here, is Tom Breeze taking on Omari Akhmedov. This is the fight that's jumping out to me only because we saw the return of Tom Breeze in 2020. He went one and one He loses by TKO to Brendan Allen, but then he bounces back in emphatic fashion, uh, knocking out KB Buller uh, last October. Um, but Omari Akhmedov is a, is a tough customer. Um, what are your thoughts on... Tom Breeze in general since his return and and how do you think he's going to fare against Omari Akhmedov this weekend, Sai? I think this is the perfect yardstick of just where Tom Breeze sits as a UFC middleweight because Omari Akhmedov has been in the UFC middleweight division for 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 a fair while. He was he, he started off as a welterweight and then moved up to middleweight and um, he's uh, he's he's just hard as nails. He's he's very very difficult to put away. He's he's solid. He's good everywhere. You know he's got he's got heavy hands. He's got excellent grappling, 
and uh, the majority of his fights go, or at least recently, have gone to the scorecards. Now, you look at his last fight. He lost a decision to former UFC middleweight champion Chris Weidman, who he's looking to kind of reinvent himself and work his way back up at 185 pounds. But that's the pedigree of guy who who uh, was sharing a cage with Amari at Medov last time out. Weidman got the job done on the scorecards. It was far from a shutout. It was it was it was a tough tough fight. If Tom Breeze can walk in there and smoke Amari at Medov on Saturday, that is a statement that immediately says, right, your former champion went in there and did this. Well, I see you and I raise you this performance. And you never know. It could get Breeze a perform uh, a fight against someone like Weidman next time round. That's what we're looking at here. And if you beat someone like Weidman, all of a sudden Tom Breeze is breaking his way into sort of the contenders. So I think this is a real opportunity for him. I think this is the, this is the biggest fight that he's had for quite some time. Um, you know, we thought after the Dan Kelly win back in 2018, that maybe that was, and, and, and that was on his first, first fight at Midway. Actually, we thought that, wow, okay, he's put Dan Kelly away. Let's see him go on a run. And then obviously he, he struggled with some, with some uh, personal problems. Wasn't himself against Brendan Allen and got, and got beat um, on his first fight back after, after some time away. Showed no problems whatsoever against KB Buller, but now he's in there with a really, really tough customer. So if he puts Amari at Medov away or dominates him for, for three rounds, then uh, Tom Breeze might just be uh, walking his way towards fulfilling some of that potential that I know. Um, I certainly made a point of really sort of trumpeting. When he first came into the UFC, I was like, this guy has got everything. I, I genuinely thought this is a guy who can go on and become a champion. Uh, for, for for the UK. And I still think that the potential is there. And he looks better at middleweight than I think he did at, at, at welterweight. So if he gets a big win Saturday, then I think there are there are big things ahead for Tom Breeze. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just buzzing with, with the return of the UFC, Simon. I tell you what, it's going to be pretty cool for most of our listeners or for our listeners in the UK and in Ireland and in that part of the world, because check this out. This weekend... Holloway versus Qatar, the prelims, the broadcast prelims, kick off at 6 p.m. local time in the UK. Main card, 8 p.m. Then you've got the midweek card, Michael Chiesa versus Neil Magny. Prelims, again, this is broadcast prelims, start at 3 p.m. Main card starts at 5 p.m. I mean, how about that? And then... The week's going to end, and all right, look, you're going back to your normal 3 a.m. main card start. But look, it's Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor. Everyone's in lockdown. Everyone's at home. You've got nothing better to do. Stay up on a Saturday night and watch some of the most incredible, you know, fighters in the lightweight division go at it for the second time. Absolutely buzzing. I'm just like, just, just talking about it and thinking about it. I can't wait, Sai. It's going to be great. Yeah, I couldn't believe it when I looked at the I looked at the uh, the schedule. And I'm like, six p.m. prelims, eight p.m. main card. This is this is like manna from heaven. This is just what we need. And the midweek cards even earlier. I mean, it's 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 going to be great. The only problem I've got with the midweek card is uh, making sure that I can squeeze my tea in so without without missing any key matchups. That's going to be my big problem. Uh, maybe I'll I'll, I'll I'll dial in for some. Uh, 
for some for some delivery that day. I might get a bit of cheeky cheeky dominoes in or something. I don't know, but um, yeah, no, it's gonna be it's gonna be great. And three events in a in in the space of a week or eight days is the perfect way to uh, kickstart the year. And what better way to finish those three three events than uh, a Conor McGregor main event? So yeah, it's gonna be great. We've got so much to look forward to in 2021. Also, Sandu fans in the building. There will be, I think, 2,000 fans in attendance for uh, for each of the three events. Um, and uh, it's going to be at the Etihad Arena, which is a brand-new, purpose-built, 18,000-seat uh, arena, which obviously, when everything has, uh, has eased up a little bit, that place will be absolutely rocking, and you can bet the UFC will be holding some major, major events there with four houses in the not-too-distant future. But for now... It's going to be a select few. Uh, tickets went on sale and disappeared almost instantly, unsurprisingly. So um, we're going to get a little bit of atmosphere, which is going to be great. Actually, having a little bit of a crowd presence in there will be fantastic. And I think hopefully what it will do, it will say, this is the new year for us now. You know, we're, we're going to have some fans in attendance for some of these fights. And we're going to just try and build this thing up. And hopefully as, as the year goes on and hopefully with the success of vaccines and everything and fingers crossed by the end of the year, things might be eased up even more. And then we can have some real blockbusters with big crowds by the end of the year. And your, your dream of a stadium show might, might become a reality, but um, yeah, it's great. Big fights are back. And uh Three events in a week. It's more than that for me. We've got, um, I've got a brave uh, combat federation event on the Saturday as well, which I think I might be checking out. Um, so we've got loads going. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. It's this is this is this is why we do it. You know. Yep. Yep. This is why we do it. So uh, I can't wait. Well, that being said, Simon, that's our first show in the books for 2021. And I say it every week, but. For those of you that listen to us on Apple Podcasts specifically, do us a favor, rate and review us. It goes a long way. It really does. You, know, you taking out 30 seconds, 30 seconds of your time to do that means the world to us and really helps get our show out there on the Apple platform. Aside from that, though, the Britpack.substack.com. That's the Britpack.substack.com. Um, and from there, you can go and find us on, on YouTube, on Apple, Spotify, Speaking of YouTube, again, that's the major project for this show this year. So for the time being, if you're interested in listening to the audio version only of the show, it's available on YouTube, it's available on Spotify, available on Apple. And of course, you can always go to the BritPackMMA.com on our website. All the links are there, uh, whether it's Substack, um, audio-only podcasts, YouTube, our social handles. And speaking of our social handles... I am at Sandu MMA on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Simon is at Simon Head on Twitter and at Simon Head Sport on Instagram. And we are the Britpack MMA on Twitter. Boom shakalaka. That will do us nicely. We've got so much to look forward to over the next week. So much for you guys to look forward to over the next week. Loads of fights. So uh, make sure the fridge is well stocked. The cushions are plumped up on the sofa. And uh, you put the cat out before the fights start. It should be a good one. Big, big fights uh, are back. And uh, we cannot wait to unpack it all with you 
uh, as we review this weekend show and then tee up the huge, huge pay-per-view that is coming in a week's time. Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Enjoy the fights this weekend and we'll speak to you next week. Mm-hmm.